Here we go, people. We're back. We're back. We're back. We're back. We're back. Thrive Leadership Podcast, back in business. Listen, here's the thing. CJ, he kind of went into, uh, he went into CJ world. I hadn't seen him in like six weeks. I had to go, I had to go put together a a search party. Uh, I called, I called California Highway Patrol and they, they hunted him down. He, uh, he was, he was, he was stuck. He was stuck in Silicon Valley, uh, you know, sucking his thumb, wanting to, uh, want to do a startup. So, <laughs> uh, close. Um, yeah. No. no, you've had some vacation. You've, you, you've had some, uh, you had, you've had some projects. Yeah. Anything fun and exciting project wise where you're, I say we, cause I'm, I've got stock in your company. You don't even realize it. That's hilarious. You know what? The, the whole COVID season has kept us really busy because a lot of companies are moving into e-commerce and trying to beef up their digital strategies to just stay connected yep. with people. So all in all, we have just been really, really busy. But on the fun note, I always said that when my kid turned 13, we wanted to start up in some of our travel experiences and so we, we, we rented one of those souped out sprinter camping vans. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's got like the, the bathroom, the shower, the stove, the solar, this thing's like all self, uh, like, it's, I don't know, self-sustainable, I guess. It's also like, yeah. you just do whatever you want to do with this thing. We drove down the coast and just started at Muir Woods, kind of a nor- Northern California area and worked all the way uh, down to Southern Cal, just the two of us, man. We had a blast. This so. is your 13 year old son, daughter, daughter. Okay. Yeah. So it was a daddy daughter date and we, daddy daughter. We and are you driving this thing or are you yeah. like pulling it behind something? No, you drive this thing. These was like a souped up van, this huge, like four wheel drive van kind of thing, but they're great. Right. Couple of beds they, in there. Fun. Yeah. How many days was that? Four days, a little rough, a little rough for your boy over here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of like getting on the, uh, it's kind of like getting on the tour bus with the band. Right. First night you're like, oh, this is cool. And then by night two, you're like, this, this thing stinks. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But that's such a fun experience with your daughter. Oh yeah. It was great. She'll be talking about that for years. It was great. I mean, I could talk podcast on that we keeping it spontaneous was was really cool element this time we had two spots we were going to stop that's it everything else was if we thought something was cool we were going to stop and check it out but it kept her engaged she wasn't she didn't really want to be on her phone she just hung out and checked everything out it was a lot of fun now just as a parent i i'm i'm curious for you as a as a father of a 13 year old daughter um did you did you prepare some some content? Did you prepare some questions going into this four days? Cause let's be honest, that's a long time yeah. to, uh, you know, to, to go on a trip with, with your 13 year old daughter. Um, how did you like, how'd you get, how'd you make sure that she stayed, she stayed engaged? That's, that's that keeping her off her phone, man. You, oh, way to go. You, you, you win the daddy of the week. Yeah. I don't know about that, but no, there, there was definitely some thought that went through it because you know, you certainly don't want to have to play entertainer the whole time. And, right. you know, and, and let's be honest, I don't know if, if people's teenagers are like mine, but they get bored quick. You know, they're constantly 
uh, engaged with something, you know, and if, if, if they don't have their attention on something, they're getting bored real fast. So that's kind right. of where the idea of this trip was going to be ultimate spontaneity. That was my goal. We've gone to Hawaii and we've done some things like that. And, and when she knows where we're going, she's a different kid. She's on her phone. There's really like, but when it's, everything is spontaneous, she has to be engaged. So, you know, we were going, well, this looks really cool. Let's pull over the side of the road and stop here. And we're doing photo ops Well, she's looking around. And, you know, we pull into that. this one little camp spot where we're going to hook up for the night and tie up, tie the, the RV up to some power and water and all that. And she's hanging on my arm, you know, because she doesn't really know where we are. And I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Oh, sure you are. I got her, you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so for me, the the only strategy was keep it spontaneous because it, it kept her aware and present and it kept her close to me, which is what I wanted. So we we had a ball. And she was helping you create the experience. I think that's what is also a, a yeah. very good insight is the idea of of let her be part of planning Yep. what happens. Yeah, we had this rule pretty early. We were leaving Muir Woods and we just said, if there's anything we find interesting, there's no questioning, no overthinking. Let's just pull over and go and go check it out. You know, so as we got closer, you know, to the to Santa Cruz area, you've got on one side beautiful state beaches that we could just pull into, but then you've got big basin, you know, you can go hiking through and Right now, there's a ton of poppies and other flowers blooming wild along the side of the road. So she wanted to pull over and take a picture. We pulled over. You know, it was it was great. It was a lot of fun. I love that. Listen, this needs to be. We we need to we need to break down CJ's parenting skills on on a <laughs> oh, no, on another don't. podcast because <laughs> that's a that's an insightful thing. People people listen out. If you're if you got teenage kids, you don't you may not get the sprinter and go all the way down the coast. But letting them actually help you create the experience. That was, that's such, that's so insightful. Because yeah. otherwise, again, like you said, you, it's planned out. Now I'm just, I'm, I'm on my phone. Um, yep. When do we get there? You know, yeah. tell me when, tell me when we get there. Tell me when I can look up and quit playing the video game. That's it, man. That's it. And you know, I, I picked that up from Ray. Ray told me one time, he said, at, at some point as a parent, you move from instructional to inspirational. You can't be mm. instructing them all the time. You can't just be that person, that voice all the time that is constantly telling them they're doing something wrong. Or So like you're saying this, let them pick, let them create the adventure to some degree. It's very inspirational for them, you know, and you guys get to share those adventures, whatever they are. And together, it just, it, it kind of keeps the relationship fresh, you know, which any parent with a teenager knows uh, is pretty important, pretty hard to do sometimes. Yeah. Well, speaking of instructional and inspirational, <laughs> Ray Johnston, the Grand Poobah, mm -hmm. he sat down recently with Elizabeth Maring. Yeah. And you may not know Elizabeth's name, but she, she's, got some, she's got some chops, people. Oh, yeah. And she is a lawyer. She's got all kinds of backgrounds in helping and working with nonprofits. She wrote a book called The Nonprofit Playbook. She was uh, recently part of a Thrive webinar, which by the way, if you're not signed up for the old Thrive webinars and you're not getting those emails on a regular basis and joining in each Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, you, you need to change that. So go get signed up, thrivecommerce.org. You can sign up and you'll get the emails. Uh, but she was on a recent webinar and had a conversation with Ray and we thought, 
listen, this is too good to only leave it in the webinar bucket, right? In the webinar folder. So CJ said, let's let's bring this one to the people. Yeah, and she she's an incredible leader. She's you know I think you mentioned this, but an attorney. She's held leadership and and even board positions at various nonprofits like Azusa Pacific University. She's she was you know working with the Willow Creek folks, Heartland Community Church, uh, ShareFest. So she she's she's been in there you know working rubbing shoulders with with a number of pretty pretty uh, capable leaders. So I think you're going to find this interview pretty insightful. Yeah, well let's. Let's get to it. Here's Ray Johnston setting down with Elizabeth Maring, the author of the nonprofit playbook. Uh, hey, folks, it is a privilege to welcome Elizabeth Maring to our uh, Thrive Business Summit. Um, Elizabeth has a background that like nobody I know. Okay, She's been an attorney. She has represented businesses and nonprofits. And throughout her career, she's helped staff leadership and board positions and numerous nonprofits, including us, getting to know each other and becoming friends at Azusa Pacific University. Uh, she has been at Willow Creek Church, Heartland Community Church, the Christian Alliance, ShareFest. Um, in 2011, she founded a great organization, Community Threads, which is a Christian nonprofit social enterprise, which generated over $3 million in financial grants to benefit homeless women and children and provide educational scholarships to students in need. She lives in Michigan with her husband of 30 five years Clarence and is the mother of two married sons Daniel and Stephen and uh, as I have told friends of mine and, and our staff who we brought out to do some training with our pastors one of the sharpest smartest leaders I have ever met so Elizabeth those are that's that's high standards we're gonna live up to it here but hey welcome to our Thrive Business Summit we're really glad to have you here. Ray, thank you so much for having me. I can't tell you what a pleasure it is and uh, what an honor it is to try to help business leaders today. That's right. So um, we were talking earlier, um, you have written a book that I have read more than one time. It's called The Nonprofit Playbook, and it's 12 essential guides to somebody having sustainable success. Um, my first question is this, I write books, so do you. It is hard work, thankless, alone time. Um, why'd you write this? Uh, Ray, I wrote that book because after 35 years, um, I felt like I had gleaned enough experience to uh, write down uh, what pitfalls and what positive things leaders can do to really ensure that their organizations become sustainable. I wanted to help them. I wanted to help nonprofits and businesses just survive and thrive as long as they can. And in this era, it's really important uh, to have those foundational uh, uh, blocks in front of you. And uh, it certainly is going to be tested uh, in the current era. Yeah, no kidding. Now, um, you use the word sustainability. Okay. Um, I mean, we have both been involved with and seen things that were important. And some of those important things didn't last, which is a shame. Um, what do you think are the most important things to staying alive, healthy, thriving, and sustainable, especially in today's climate? Right. Well, um, in my book, I outline 12 and then I have two bonus um, uh, factors. But today, I think we should just focus on the top three okay. that business leaders can um, uh, use immediately right now in these circumstances. And the very first one I would mention is innovation. Now, innovation sounds a little odd, I think, in this era, because I think we're all just trying to hang on. But actually, it's really a key point. And it will help businesses that do survive 
uh, to be set up to thrive after this is over. And we know that it will it will end. Okay, so a couple of examples of companies, I mean, chewing gum companies and things like that. They're, I mean, even chewing gum companies are innovating. Right, right. So the truth is, is that we don't have a choice, right? So what has worked um, in the past um, isn't working as well in this era. The supply chain's been interrupted. We can't get to our face-to-face to our customers. Um, you know, there's just all of these barriers to how we normally do business. And so it's it's really pretty much, Ray, adapt or die. Now, some of the some of the companies are doing some really innovative things, like you mentioned. So there's a chewing gum company that is running a national ad right now that is saying you need to chew our gum to um, prevent and cure the terrible problem of mask breath. Now, I had never heard of mask breath. I'm not sure anything like that actually exists, but what the commercial did for me was to say, wow, is mask breath a thing? And should I be chewing gum to solve it? It was incredibly creative. And of course, it's gonna be short-lived because we're all gonna take our masks off at at the end of the day. But I thought that was really creative. You know, another example of innovation is the Panera uh, Bread Company. Now, they're primarily a bread company, but they sell a lot of coffee to go with that bread. But recently, they've gotten into the subscription business. So they'll give you three months free unlimited coffee, but then you have to sign up for $10 a month, or maybe it's $9 a month, for unlimited subscription after that. So basically, they can fill a coffee box, and they can deliver it either by pickup which is um, you know, contactless, or ship it somehow. But I thought it was incredibly creative that a bread baking company would become a subscription company. Yep, and now everybody listening to this is thinking, okay, I need to innovate. Get, are there other, what are some other ways leaders can innovate? Right, so one of the first things that leaders can reach for is they need to look at their stockpile of products and services and ask, what is old in our stockpile that we can make new again? Is there anything that we can repurpose, reintroduce, or create a more relevant twist on and and revive it? Um, One of the easiest ways uh, to do that is to just see what products have been shelved, so to speak, and what might be relevant again. One of the best examples of this, Ray, is the Instant Pot. Now, pressure cookers have been around forever, but someone got the bright idea who's probably making a lot of profit right now or I think we, we know that there's more product lines even spinning off, but he took a very old product and he made it new again, and it's a huge hit. So that's, kind of th- that's the kind of thing. Now, what I did want to say to business leaders is that there has to be a balance between the tried and the true and innovation. Sure. So there's been some research done that if a company only does what it's always done, it will fail. It will become obsolete. In fact, Bill Gates has said that success is a lousy teacher because it creates so much complacency. And also, if they have a big stockpile of products, it's kind of hard to imagine that all of them someday may not uh, be appealable to the market. But you know, we can look at Kodak or IBM, and we can see that some of these companies that looked indestructible eventually uh, lost uh, their market share. But if you only innovate and you only do what's new, that is also perilous. So only 2% of companies, Ray, get this formula right, which is balancing the tried and true with the innovation. Yeah, no kidding. And then now we have some major corporations listening to this. Um, There are some time, is this a season for corporations to think through some collaborations or mergers? Uh, What are your thoughts on that? 
you know, you're exactly right, Ray. That's 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 precisely what they should be doing. Um, sometimes they can look on either side of the supply chain and um, and create uh, a, some new offering um, that's a win-win. Um, frequently, one of the best examples of mergers or acquisitions um, is Big Pharma. Uh, now, Big Pharma normally has a very robust, developed research and development teams. And they're chasing certain product lines and development of certain drugs or certain devices or diagnostics. However, they are also very, very proficient and adept at acquiring biotech firms that are started on a single idea that may have been developed enough for them to have their interest drawn to it. But they don't have, they aren't stuck on a not invented here kind of mentality. Any idea that's a good idea that they can bring into their system and grow it is fair game for them. And I think we should all learn from that. That's a really good strategy. Absolutely. Now, you also um, talk about imitation generally is something people avoid that they shouldn't avoid. Okay? Right, right. So, so my favorite story on imitation is actually Sam Walton. So he, when he was starting Walmart, he would imitate and, and constantly um, walk through the Ben Franklin stores. Now, None of us, or very few of us, remember the Ben Franklin stores, but at that time, they were the big, the big company on the block. And so Sam Walton would go there, and he would check their pricing, he would check their merchandising, and he was always looking to see what they were doing. He would take their best ideas and take them back to the Walmart store, which was just starting. Now, clearly, clearly, we want to stay away from any kind of intellectual prop property legal problems, right? I'm not suggesting that we steal trade secrets or, you know, any kind of uh, intellectual property, but there is a lot that savvy business leaders can look over the horizon, see what their competitors are doing, seeing what um, adjunct um, industries are doing and, uh, and bring that back in-house and maybe put um, a personal twist on it. Well, that is good. So, Innovation, um, I mean, dreaming, changing, innovating, um, being tomorrow's company um, or nonprofit is a, is a really big deal. The, there's a second factor. And when I read about this in your book, it reminded me, um, I had an interview with Forbes a, a long time ago. And Forbes said to me, what's the most important thing you've learned in 10 years? And I said, that's easy. The solution to everything is the right person. Okay? Absolutely. Ties into your second top factor. Yes, yes. So right now, because businesses are so stressed, many of them are having to um, uh, have a re reduced workforce. Um, and this is really excruciating. So um, good business leaders are going to look ahead past this pandemic and say, how do we keep our best employees right now um, in, in, uh, you know, in our circle so that when we come out, we don't have the additional problem of trying to rebuild our teams? Um, and you know, sometimes that's possible. Sometimes you have to, the cuts have to go pretty deep. So how do you, how do you keep people interested in on board? Well, I think the very first thing is to pay attention to the number one article that was read this uh, in 2020 on Harvard Business Review. And that article had to do with grief. 34 million people read HBR's article on grief. So what does that tell you? That wow. tells you what we already know, which is that there's a river of pain out there. And so good business leaders are going to, as much as they can, become the empathizer in chief. And that means acknowledging the pain, doing, uh, you know, trying to figure out ways to reduce stress. Um, but it really has to be a, a much higher sensitivity level from the top all the way through the organization for how stressed out people really are. And I think that will create uh, 
loyalty connections. Um, one uh, of my favorite examples of this was a company uh, had all their employees working remotely, of course, as most of us do. And uh, they decided to decorate their parking lot at the holiday season. And they, they just decked it out with lights and bright lights. They made it as festive as possible. And they had their employees and their families and their kids and everybody in the car driving through at scheduled times. So it was all socially distanced. And all the bosses came out and they just started applauding their, their um, employees. And then they would pop open the trump, trunk and, and drop in a Christmas gift. And then, and then they would ride away. It was great for morale. You know, it was a little bit goofy, but it basically said, look, we're separated, but we're still a community. And that was really effective. Yeah, it's interesting. I have never heard that about being the empathizer in chief. I got some work to do. <laughs> Don't we all, right? We're all so busy problem solving. Now, at some point, everybody listening to this that is running anything has got to figure out how do I, how do I decide who to move on and who to keep? Oh, you have any tips on that? Because that's a big deal. Right, right. Um, well, it, 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 sometimes it's easier. Uh, you know, sometimes the approach is, well, first in, first out kind of thing. But I would, I would encourage business leaders to think instead about what is the staff that you want to have coming out of this? Yes, you are going to need people who are experienced, who really do understand how the flywheel works and how your hedgehog, hedgehog works, to uh, quote Jim Collins. But you're also going to need your young innovators. Um, and also, I think the, the key to the downsizing is really to be honest communicators. I think sometimes because we're soft-hearted, um, when, when we're giving people bad news, sometimes we want to sugarcoat it a little bit or we want to minimize it. Um, but the truth is, is that we really need to just be honest with people. Now, I'm not suggesting that you tell your staff or your employees everything you know the minute you know it. Clearly, there are strategies to communication as well. But when you do decide to speak to your staff, you speak honestly and you give them the real story. And I think that will build trust. An example of this, of course, is Dr. Anthony Fauci. You know, for, for eight months, we've been listening to Dr. Fauci. And I think his brand is, and his, his, the way he is genuinely, is he's an honest guy and he tells it like it is. And he's probably the most trusted person in America. And people will work for people they trust. They leave bad bosses. They don't leave bad jobs. Yep. Well, that's good. Now, I have your book, which I am going to, uh, we, we will put a link to this so you can go order this book. Um, the And you have, I'm going to rip through here and then ask you a third, what the third factor is. But here's okay. what I want to say is, this is a playbook for a nonprofit, many of whom start well and end badly. Okay. Yes. And and the and there's nothing worse than a great start and a lousy finish on anything, a marriage, a business, whatever it is. However, this isn't just about nonprofits. And so here your chapters are take control of the money problem. You got money problems, you're toast. Okay. Set high leadership standards, an entire chapter on that. Find and keep great leaders. Okay. Oh, brilliant. Um, build a better board. Manage destructive conflict. Stay mission true. I'll ask you the question about that in a minute. Develop a loyal staff. Innovate, imitate, and stay ahead of the curve. Protect your reputation. Attract and retrain excellent volunteers. Prepare for what comes next. Keep up with cybersecurity, which nobody talks about. And then you actually had just in time a chapter in here, a last chapter on initial impact of the pandemic on nonprofits. Um, the out of all this material, and 
each one of these things could be its own book. Out of all of this material, you there's a third factor, and it really is board partnership. Can yes. you unpack why that's so important? Yes, yes, yes. And and Ray, if I could just say, you know, the book really is it, it's it's meaty. It's it's packed with um, with really solid um, ideas, and um, and in a, you know, it, it's something that's really going to help in the moment. Um, and and the reason I did that is because I thought I'm a busy person. And I really don't want to read a lot of fluff to get to the one nugget. I want to get to the nugget first. So I hope that is the promise that the book um, uh, provides for leaders. But let's talk for a minute about uh, board relationships. Uh, especially in the nonprofit world, when things get very stressed, stressful, um, it's very tempting for boards to want to micromanage because they care, right? They care. They want the nonprofit to succeed. So a good nonprofit leader or a good business leader with a board is going to have to navigate that as well as the employee issues underneath him or her. So my suggestion is to, to try as much as you can to lean into your board, um, to keep good communication. It will drive them crazy to know that they're stressed and not know what's going on. So communication has to, has to bump up. But more importantly, if they feel that they are your partner, and that their, their voice can be heard, that their suggestions can be helpful, um, that they might be able to make a connection for you. Um, those kinds of partnerships can really strengthen a, an organization in times of stress. Um, yes, there's going to be those board members that want to do your job. You know, you just have to sort of navigate that with them and say thank you, but listen well. Um, I hope that's helpful because I think boards can sometimes be a really untapped resource. That's right. So there are people listening to this that have boards. Um, if you're if you're going there, someone on the board, and they're just too toxic, and it's not good for the board, and you're leading this, what do you do? Right. Um, you know, it's really a much more common problem than you would think. Um, sometimes right. people are invited onto boards for reasons other than they'd be great board members. Uh, and that will that will come to fruition, right? If if they're picked for the wrong reason, that wrong reason will show up in a board meeting. Um, and so I would say that um, your best bet on that is to create good board structure, because it's very difficult for you one on one to confront uh, behavior that is destructive or toxic. But if you have systems built into place in your board that you have easy on ramps, easy off ramps, you have yearly board evaluations, you've got a governance committee that can help you if someone's behavior gets out of line, those kinds of structural help um, will keep keep the leader out of sort of the one-on-one um, uh, uh, -on -one, uh, confrontation mode, which sometimes doesn't turn out very well. Yeah. And Elizabeth, you also um, have an entire chapter in here on mission drift. I mean, we both are passionate about that. We have worked together on that um, in settings. Um, unpack why that's such a big deal. And for anybody that's experiencing it or wants to prevent it in the future, any tips? Yes. Yes. So mission drift is one of the worst nightmares for business leaders to wake up one day and figure out that the reason they're working in the organization is different than the way everybody else is working for the organization. Hmm. And that can happen uh, for a number of reasons. I would say rapid growth is one of the biggest reasons why mission drift happens because people get hired very quickly and mission 
as a key pillar of why people are working for you kind of gets lost in the interview and defaults to what are your skills. So it's really important. So you want to include that your mission statement and your allegiance to mission in every interview. You want to hire everyone who's passionate about your mission, not just necessarily good at the job that you need them to do. The second thing is you really need to communicate your mission over and over and over again, especially at big events, um, because it's just really easy for it to get fuzzy if it's not sort of in the eye of the organization on a regular basis. Um, I think the other thing is that it's very easy for sometimes organizations to hire a chief executive who is a wonderful chief executive, but may have a different mission. And, yeah. and then over time, that person's leadership influence can change the mission. Sometimes missions just change because they become obsolete, right? So you could have a, um, a rescue center for um, uh, an impoverished neighborhood that then becomes less impoverished and now they need a community center. So um, it, it really takes a sharp eye and constant monitoring. And I recommend that boards spend time at least once a year examining how well the mission is going, not just at the board level, but throughout the organization. Yeah, well said. Um, the, I have two other questions. And uh, this one's a cur this one's a curveball, okay? Okay. Um, lots of people listening to this are leading something, okay? Um, you're in a lot of settings watching people lead. What is the dumbest thing leaders are doing now? Where you're going, oh, if you would just think about this, you would change this. Right. Um, you know, honestly, I think... It's, the, it's losing the balance between listening and activating. Mm. You know, leaders are being counted on to, to plan and execute. But in, in times of, and, and when things get really dicey, it's really easy to want to pull a lot of levers and make decisions quickly. Um, I think that it, it would behoove leaders um, that are listening to just spend some time thinking and listening and, um, and I mean, clearly we're all got our, our faces in the spreadsheets, right? We're all looking at our finances, but if you can take it at a fresh hour in the morning and just think to yourself now, how is this really going or getting other people to think with you? I think that would be um, a, a very profitable enterprise. Um, you know, uh, yeah, I'll just stop there. Well, that's good. That's good. It's funny because if somebody said to me, number one thing outside of the obvious, you're running over people. So I just go, most leaders do not have enough time to think. Right. Okay. Which is why I'm so glad you are tuned into this one. Um, <laughs> why we're doing this. Um, and so Elizabeth, any final thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I think that um, leaders tend to be people who are high achievers, uh, who are responsible. Uh, who want to do, who want to bring good into the world. And because of that, they can be extraordinarily hard on themselves. Um, so I would like to just say to leaders, if you are getting 50% of what you're doing right now, right, you are doing wonderfully well. I would encourage self-compassion and encourage you to be gentle with yourself. Um, you know, try not to drop your exercise routines. Um, try to think past, um, uh, today and and things will get better and know that uh, you're not alone uh, and that many of us are praying for you and that as from a Christian perspective as I am you know God reigns this is not a surprise to him and he is going to carry you through. 
Well, I like hearing that. I was talking to a pastor uh, yesterday, just a, a great leader, great guy, former NFL player, actually. And he said, it finally dawned on me that if I didn't take good care of myself, I was not going to be able to take care of my people long range. And I went, that is brilliant. He said, I cleared out my garage. I put workout equipment in it. I went, I just thinking, good for you. I should probably go and do likewise. Uh, the, <laughs> now, right. uh, the, so for those of you that are going, I want to get this book. It's on the Thrive Business Summit website. Um, however, Elizabeth, Elizabeth, you've written a free workbook to this, including a diagnostic tool that I think everybody's going to want. Okay, what what is that? And then how can they get it? Yes, yes. So um, uh, there is a diagnostic tool for free, along with a 70 page uh, workbook. Um, and you can you can use it 10 pages at a time, because um, as Ray said, each chapter kind of stands alone. So you can pick those topics that are most relevant to you and just use that part of the workbook that um, that applies to your particular interest. Um, it's on elizabethmaring.com, just my name.com. And all you have to do is pop in your email and it'll shoot you a PDF. Um, of the full workbook, just free. That's fantastic. Elizabeth, on behalf of everybody listening and settings we're in, I mean, I mean, we've known each other for a long time. Yeah. Every setting we're in together, if a CEO uh, retires, I try to make you the next person. And you're wise enough to say no, because you can help a whole lot more people doing what you're doing. But I just want to say thank you. It's great having you as part of the Global Summit. Thank you so much, Ray. And thank you for everything you're, that you're doing. All right. Thanks, Elizabeth. All right. I, you know, I say that like, all right, sir. Uh, or, all right, ma'am. Thank you, Elizabeth, for joining us and for Ray for that conversation. And you can go find Elizabeth. Uh, her, her website is Elizabeth, just like it's supposed to be spelled, Maring, M-A-R-I-N-G.com, ElizabethMaring.com. You can find all kinds of resources there on our website. And uh, we're, we appreciate her joining us. And thanks to CJ for that parenting advice <laughs> in the first half of this episode. Listen, that's good stuff, man. Doing what I can, doing what I can. And if you want more good stuff, there's constant good stuff happening uh, within the Thrive ecosystem. That's uh, right. Especially the, the podcast network now. Ray Johnston's got his podcast. He's got a number of great uh, episodes there. And then the Women's Leader uh, Leadership Podcast head up by our very own Angie Wysocki and friends uh, is also just picking up a ton of steam. It's a great, great podcast. Highly recommend you subscribe to that. And to all of those, uh, including our own Thrive Leadership Podcast, are mm -hmm. all available on iTunes and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. I feel like you and I started the movement. We, we started the revolution. For the pioneers. And now, and now we're like, we've, we've gone from first to, to last. We, we, <laughs> We, we went from leading the charge to now like trying to keep up. Yeah, that's how it goes, you know. And that's then, all right, though. That's what leaders we find do. the new thing. That's right. Leaders are innovators. They, right, they're always changing up. They're looking for the new frontier. That's right. But we're still here. Listen, you can't get rid of us, people. Nope. You can't get rid of us. Mm -hmm. And we love being a part of this. We love uh, bringing you the Thrive Leadership Podcast. So as we always say, we want you to be a thriving leader with the healthy church. And that's our goal. So hopefully that's happened with this episode. Stay tuned, subscribe, do all those things, review, tell your friends, and we'll talk to you on the next episode of the Thrive Leadership Podcast.